Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one platform that's transforming how market-leading sales organizations use Salesforce around the world. Move past the call reports, pipeline reports, and forecasts, and stop using Salesforce just as a system of record. Let the Xvoyant team show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Xvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high growth sales leaders discuss high growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by my friend, Ryan Levitt formerly known as the co-founder and chief revenue officer of LearnCore. Ryan's sales teams and the entire LearnCore team have been so freaking successful that they were recently acquired by Showpad. LearnCore is leading the charge and has changed the game in how enablement teams drive the learning process. With LearnCore, sales orgs help reps become customer ready with their learn, test, practice approach. Today, Ryan is now the head of growth strategy at Showpad. Showpad's the first end-to-end enablement platform that spans training, coaching, content, and engagement. I've had the opportunity to work closely with Ryan and the LearnCore team, and I know firsthand that their success in helping sales teams win is no accident. We are in for an awesome treat today. Ryan, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Rob, thank you for having me, because I am really jazzed up to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun, and I'm excited to... uh... To, to have a great conversation with you. Well, if there's one thing I know about you and I, we don't do anything unless we have fun. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> As am I. <laughs> do us a favor for the people that are living uh, in a place that's maybe this is their first introduction to the internet or, or live communication. Can you introduce to our, our listeners, just give us a little bit about the learn, the learn core story. What you've done at learn core is killer. I want you to share your story for a quick minute. Well, I'm happy to do that. And I, I like how you assume that, and you know, anybody who's ever been on the internet will know what LearnCore is because that's that was, right. Uh, that, that, that is certainly not the truth, but I, uh, so if you're listening and, and you don't know what it is, that's, I'm, I'm happy to share. Um, so we are based in Chicago. I always like to, to start with that because we're, it's something we're really proud of, um, to have a, uh, you know, a, a high growth software company here in Chicago. And this is a, is a great community that continues to grow. Um, and that's actually where we started, right? We started um, working with other, other entrepreneurs here in Chicago when there wasn't, there wasn't a, uh, there wasn't a ton. So Michelle and I actually, um, Michelle is one of my co-founders. We had a, a, a tech incubator which we started called Catapult Chicago. And we worked alongside, um, lots of other other founders to try to figure out like hey how do we scale a company and how do we figure it out and so we did is we just we just put our head down and while everybody else is raising money we decided to to bootstrap LearnCore and and go from there and so from day one we were actually a bootstrap company um really focused on building a a high growth organization um but also being cash flow positive so that kind of guided a lot of the decisions we made over time and is you know one of the reasons that 
um, it, it's a, uh, it's quite a grind over the, the last seven years, but then we were recently acquired by Showpad um, and ended up actually just the way we described it is we like skipped three years of our company, three years of the growth. And now we're, we're working really hard growing a much larger organization, which is even higher growth than, than LearnCore was and is, is venture backed. And it's a, um, it's a lot of fun as the, as the enablement industry continues to explode. So you've been in this enablement and you guys have been leading the charge and you've watched it grow up, uh, Ryan. And um, one of the things I was excited and I'm glad you went there already, <clears throat> excuse me, is it started out with, you know, one little piece. Maybe it's, it's, it's the LMM, LMS piece of what you do. And then you watched video coaching kind of emerge and you guys were instantly one of the leaders in that space. And you started to blend this together. What's some of the things you've seen happen as enablement has, has emerged? It's a title that's relatively new. They're now executive enablement officers. You've helped fuel that. What are some of the things you've seen happen as enablement has really come onto the scene? Um, I, you know, I think that you nailed it with that, right? It's enablement is becoming a function within organizations that is a must have, right? Executives are watching it. Executives care about it because up until a few years ago, training and coaching was done for, for a sales team was done informally. The only formal training and coaching was led out of HR um, and learning and development. And a lot of times that wasn't specifically focused on improving the skills of sales reps. Um, over the last couple of years, that's changed as executives and leaders have started to really buy into this idea around how could we, what could we do to make our salespeople sell more faster? And in my mind, that's how, that's how I define sales enablement. It's, it's what, what can, what can we do to help sales reps sell more faster? So whether that's the right content at the right time, whether that's training people faster, whether that's certifying that everybody could deliver the right message or making sure that managers are coaching um, you know, often and consistently, um, those are all elements that are, that are really critical to helping sales reps sell. And it's formalizing that. And what ended up happening is that the growth of sales enablement, if you look at LinkedIn and you like do a search for titles, there was a chart that was floated around over the last couple of years over the last year or so, but over the last three years, the um, number of people with enablement in their title has tripled. And there's data that thinks that the market's going to quadruple over the next three years, the general market. So you talk about a high growth space. And the biggest problem right now is that the supply and demand for, for people that have experience in enablement is so off. Every company is hiring two or three enablement people and there, there aren't enough people with that experience. So it's really, it's really interesting time right now as, as the, the space continues to explode. And like you said, um, we were pretty early on. So I, I think we were one of, if not the first company that, that launched a video coaching and practice module. Um, and five, six years ago, it was all education. And now it, it really is becoming a must-have, and it's really exciting to see the, the space continue, continue to evolve. So that's got to have changed what the whole sales challenge is like then. Is I, I think through what it must have been like as you were maybe that lone voice that felt like probably sometimes on why this matters and people are, you're probably telling you that's kind of cool and maybe you even heard things like it's nice to have and it's not must have versus today when it's like people have all these things going on. What's changed in the sales process? I mean, because on one side you were doing things by what drives cash flow. Has that changed? And, and can you talk about what that's like to be a high growth participant today versus what it was? 
Um, yeah, so that's a really good question, Rob. I think that early on, to an extent, it doesn't really matter what you're selling, right? You're, you're, you're doing some sort of education when you're a really small, early stage startup. Um, and you need to get the market to validate your company, your product. You need to, you need to get some customers some way, somehow, and then you got to get, you got to get one customer and then you get five customers and you turn that into 10 customers, et cetera. So a lot of it's brute force, right? A lot of it is, is trial and error and, and it's, it's not really a scalable process. You're just trying to figure out like what message sticks how do we communicate that value prop? A lot of times the value prop that you think you're selling is different than what the market sees and you have to learn and then iterate and shift. And we did all that um, early on. And it was a, um, and, and it was also a very new and innovative product at the time. And so it was, it was, it was changing and iterating coupled with trying to find like the true, you know, innovators, the people that would, that would, by this early on and wanted to help us help be the, the, the leaders in the space from an enabling perspective. And we did find a few of those great customers and, and learn from them, but it was never a, you know, in those days it, it's not repeatable, but what I think the goal of a sales leader at a, at a, at a early stage startup is you continue to grow and scale and then you, you know, you get to a million dollars in ARR and a few million dollars in ARR and the team builds and the CS team builds and the product continues to innovate is you, you need to figure out a way like to, to really define your target market, um, who the right customers are, make sure that your time is focused selling only to who will be, you know, you know companies that will end up being good customers um, that really fit your, your um, ICP. Um, and, and building a, a repeatable process and it doesn't have to be perfect because we're going to continue changing it. And we change really fast, but the more repeatable we can make it, the more we can pull ourselves out of the sales process. And then we have a team that could continue to scale. And so over the last couple of years, we finally got there with LearnCore, but it took a long time to get there. I mean, it was, it was constant learning and iteration and, and refocusing. Um, and one of the best pieces of advice that we ever received was really early on. And there's a, a guy, Craig Wortman here in Chicago is a, he's a, he's a good friend of, of the company and a, and a really brilliant sales mind. And he teaches a class at Kellogg. And one of the first um, the lessons that he, that he instructs is around how to, how to figure out what your target market is, what your ICP is. And he said, if you look at the world, the universe, like a pizza, right. And then you cut it into pieces, then you go find a piece, right but you don't stop there, right? You don't just target the piece. You actually find one pepperoni and you go after that one pepperoni. And if it works, then you go to the next one and you expand it. And if not, you might go to like a, an olive, right? Or a, or a green pepper or something like that. Cause it, you, you got to find these little niches. You got to find, you got to test it in small areas and then you can scale rather than trying to be everything to everybody. And that's something that we, uh, we really took to heart early on in, in, in figuring out our, our sales strategy. Cool. It's, it, and I appreciate you sharing that because <clears throat> I wa- I got to watch you do a little bit of that in the early days of that and of what you talked about. And, and I think you're dead on. I think early on, a big part of the job is how do you get the attention of the people that actually care about it? But today it's shifted now because now instead of the primary lens being, how do I get the attention of the people that can actually buy our stuff? Now there's so much attention around what you do. How do you stand out in the face of pretty interesting competitors, right? I mean, is that a, is that a shift that's, that's requiring different skill sets for you and your leaders to make sure that now you stay in high growth mode instead of get in high growth mode? Um, yes, I think, I think it, 
it is a shift, right? And and it's it is telling a a bigger story. It's pushing the needle. It's talking about innovation. It's it's and it really is is leading through that that innovation and vision, um, as opposed to just trying to to educate and and get people excited about today's solution. We're actually trying to 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 show them where this world is going, right? And that and and how we can help them get there and help to transform their, their sales organization. And uh, like three, four years ago, we were not talking about transforming their sales organization, right? We were, we were talking right. about sol- solving a problem. Right. So that, 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 and that's where the shift is going, but you know, ultimately it's, it's because of the work that, that we've put in, our competitors have put in ancillary companies around the space have put in, in educating and building the market. And now it's here, right? Sales enablement has grown so quickly along with LearnCore and Showpad and other companies in the space. And now we, um, you know, we're, we're almost working together to continue to, to grow the space as, as counterintuitive as, as that sounds. No, I like that actually. I think that's, I think that's a really healthy view of it. And it's probably one of the reasons why you're not just having high growth, but you're staying in it. I, I, it's probably worth saying, Ryan, I know you and I've talked about this, but I like to remind the people that are listening to the show our whole thing with the show is we're not just finding leaders like you that have been able to experience high growth. It's we're staying in high growth. And our definition of that is we take more than the market gives. And what I'm hearing you say is developing the market is a key part of for you to make sure that you can take more than your fair share because you have this leadership perspective uh, position in developing the market as well. Yeah, you got it. I mean, it, 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 it truly is key because we're, we're, it's still a fraction of the, the ultimate size of what the market will become in the next three, four, five years. And it is, it's continuing to evolve. Um, but that, that again is why like having this, this agile methodology and being able to learn and change and, and, um, and, you know, iterate the way that you communicate, who you're communicating to, what the value prop is and, and continue to improve as the market changes is really key. And by the way, I don't, I don't think that that is necessarily um, you know, limited to a, a quickly growing space like sales enablement. I think that even even older industries or, or organizations, um, there's still a ton of change and the pace of change is faster than ever, right? So that means companies and people and stories need to adapt really quickly. Um, and, that, and that's something that we think about a lot. So let's talk about that. That's a really good segue to something that I wanted to talk to you about. And so since you've gone there, let's go there. One of the things that I have, it struck me about you, Ryan, is I've watched you and I've gotten to know you and, and you know, learned a lot watching how you work with your team is you're, it strikes me that team collaboration is something that's been a good move for you that you, you work together with the team. You don't just guide the team. I mean, as you do what you just described, how important is that collaborative effort versus I'm the leader and I'm going to kind of go where I think. Um, great point. And I think you've probably heard me say this a ton of times and that's why you brought it up. Like we yeah, are, no, I have heard we you are, we are so collaborative as an organization. And I, and I know that, you obviously know Vishal and Ethan and Pat and Brian who have been around for a long time and like all together um, in building a, a, a sales organization, it's about learning from each other. And so everybody from an entry level BDR to an experienced sales rep is a, a learner, right? They're a mentor, they're a subject matter expert, they're a coach in some capacity. 
because we're all working at deals. We're all talking about our deals. We have um, the way that we would forecast is, you know, Pat was our head of sales and Pat would, he would do it in Salesforce, but we would also do it live on a whiteboard. Um, and the point of that wasn't to, you know, at first some people thought it was like, Hey, you know, we're duplicating work, right? We're it's all in Salesforce. Why do we have to do it on a whiteboard? Well, the answer is that it's not about the output that goes on the whiteboard. It's the conversation that happens as we're putting the deals on the whiteboard mm-hmm. to make sure that, that everybody has to communicate why they're forecasting this, where it is and what the risks of the deal are or why they think it's going to close or what they, what the challenges are. What ends up happening is you, you get this, this environment where people are helping each other out and they're listening and they're learning from each other and they're sharing um, stories and best practices and advice. And, and it actually becomes a, a learning mechanism, right? Because everybody is being elevated and improving because we're working with each other to make each other, to make everybody successful. Um, and it's a really, it's a really powerful way to do that. And, and I think that the only way that happens, is if you can build a team where there are no egos, right? You know, someone, um, everybody needs to be able to, have an open mind to learn from each other and work with each other and help each other because we know what goes around comes around. And um, I think that that mentality has been, has been a really um, critical piece in, in building our team. So if that's become so important now, I'm, I'm just diving in and I appreciate you bringing this up, Ryan, <clears throat> as I listen to you talk, it seems to me that if collaboration is more than just getting good ideas, it, it's, it's getting people to really commit and, and like, invest emotionally to what's going on do you look for ways to drive collaboration or do you just collaborate in kind of areas where collaboration is important I mean, as a leader is that something where you say I, I gotta find ways to drive more collaboration and and if so what are examples of doing that because like you just gave a good example of we're gonna you know have this discussion around deals and that makes sense I could see yeah, that just makes sense and now that you say that and I could see why everyone do it but I I, I know you and I'm listening to you. I mean, how do you intentionally say I'm looking for ways to get more collaboration from the members of my team? Um, I think it's trying to listen to what everybody's strengths are and where they're succeeding and what their weaknesses are. And what, what, what I've always tried to do is, um, and there's an element of recognition that goes along with this too, but is to figure out what people are doing really well and ask them to share it with the other members of the team, right? If someone writes a great email differentiating uh, us from one of our competitors, okay, let's share that with the rest of the team. Let's make sure everybody knows about that, right? Or if someone receives a, is, is in an interesting deal or receives a question from a customer um, that they don't know the answer, rather than giving them the answer is to say like, hey, go talk to this person over here because they just went through the same exact thing and they, and they crushed it. Right. So it's, it's listening to what people are doing well and then paying attention to that so that you can, I can facilitate some of that, that interaction and collaboration. Um, and then it's just important to, to, to keep the knowledge and, and be able to share it in a way that isn't just um, one person delivering it. Right. Everybody is a content creator. Everybody's a subject matter expert in something. And so deliberately figuring out what those areas are and asking people to help out and be the leader with specific items. Um, that that's been one it's it, it's it helps you scale in the early days but also it uh it 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 continues to engage everybody with with the goal and and um what the team is working on so that strikes me ryan that that's a completely different mindset so now you as a leader you're thinking through a lens of 
you know, it's not an efficiency play because you just said you already know the answer. You could tell them what you're doing is you're helping them have this, this learning journey where you're developing people. Does that require, like, have you found that taking a different view of efficiency versus development, is that an intentional decision you have to make as you continue to, to be a leader or, or am I reading something into that wrong? Well, I think ultimately it improves efficiency if you can make people like it resourceful, right? If people are resourceful and they know, you know, who the experts are, they know how to help each other out. They know when to ask each other for help. They know when to ask me for help, right? It it becomes a, a, an actually a highly efficient, almost like a living organism, right? Like you don't want, if it's too linear with different levels, then then communication happens very slowly. Um, And the example, I'll probably botch this example, but it's like the, the Navy SEALs, right? When they, the way that they used to communicate is like there would be a, a, an order that would come from the top and it would go down four or five levels and finally get to the seals on the ground and then they'd go and execute and they'd be late, right? Because the, the chain of communication was too slow. But once you started to, once they started to empower the Navy SEALs to make their own decisions and, and attack um, using their own judgment as, and execute using their own judgment, they were, they were ahead of the bad guys, right? They were moving faster. Um, and so that it's having that sort of mentality where, you know, Leadership isn't that you get to make all the decisions and you have to make all the decisions. It's that you're teaching and empowering people to be able to make their own decisions and do them in an educated way. Um, and that really increases efficiency. I know that's a little bit of a tangent, but I think that that, that ultimately is, is a way you can build teams that, that are working together and, and that's extremely productive. So I love it. So, so that makes me now ask, how has your approach to collaboration changed from being a co-founder for a growth company at one stage to now being the head of growth strategy for a significantly larger company? You walk in, uh, you're excited, you're acquired, you have your new roles, you meet some of your teammates, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're driving growth at larger scale. How has your approach to collaboration changed in this environment versus what you did at LearnCore? Um. Well, it's certainly a change, um, but it is a, it's a really fun change and it's a really good change because now there's a lot more people to collaborate with, Rob, right? There's a lot, <laughs> lot more great people yeah. here um, and there's bigger teams in, in every functional area and there's, there's a lot more volume of everything and a lot more resources, which is, is great. Um, but I think at the end of the day, right, it, it is a, it, it's a, it's a really unique opportunity for us because, um, Showpad is not a 10,000 person company, right? With LearnCore, we're about 350 people. So this is still a relatively small company, right? And yes, it's, you know, five or six times the size of LearnCore, but in the grand scheme of things, this is still a, a very much a, a growth um, scale up, right? This is really, really high growth, a lot of fun, um, great leadership. And it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's not a, you know, sit back at a fortune 500 company, right? This is a, we are, we are building a market and we are growing really quickly and moving really quickly and making decisions quickly. And so it's a, uh, I think collaboration is actually um, more important here, right? Because there's, there's a lot more things going on and, and people really need to be aligned and working together so that we can all achieve the, the same goal. So it should be a really, really fun time here at Showpad. 
Yeah, it sounds like it. And I, I, I'm laughing. You'll laugh. You know me a little bit. As I listen to you talk, I'm struck with the uh, with the words of the poet from the '80s, that famous poet from the from the 1980s, Vanilla Ice. Stop, collab- <laughs> collaborate, and listen. Right. That's it. <laughs> Vanilla ice, 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 baby. <laughs> That's right, man. He's ahead of his time, and and so that that approach is is something that, as I listen to you, it had you build a market, helped you build a high growth company. You stepped into a really cool, uh, larger company, and you're all you've done is stomp on the pedal by collaborating. So let me ask you this: How important is the collaboration process in creating those those raging those raving fans? I know that that's one of the things you guys did an amazing job of at LearnCore. Your customers love you. I've been to your your uh, uh, your forum. Your 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 uh, you had me speak. I, I all of a sudden forgot the name of it. Your your event, your summit event, <clears throat> and your customers love you. How does collaboration come into play in creating those kind of customer experiences? Um, collaboration is is part of it, but I think it's a it's a mentality, right? And if, if everybody, again, if everybody is really focused on creating a great experience for our customers and making them love us, that, that becomes a moat, right? That, that is a, that is a defensible moat around your company. When you have customers, we call them raving fans, as you know, that, and we'd say love the product, right? Are really successful at achieving their goals and love the people at at our company right if you could if we could successfully achieve all three of those then that's the holy grail with the customer because they're they're customers for life then and they're referral sources and um at the end of the day they that those are that's the heart of the organization and so what ends up happening is that you you have these raving fans and they're raving fans because you have great people right and you have a great product and they're successful and then what happens is they make referrals and they grow the business and they help improve the product and they help us understand like what our strengths and our weaknesses are so we can continue to improve. And so that, that, that actually touches every piece of the organization, right? That's customer success, that's product, that's operations, that's the sales team. And everybody is elevated because we're making the customers so successful. Um, and so I think in and of itself, that is, collaboration if everybody understands that that's the ultimate goal we're all going to do whatever we can to make sure that we are creating these raving fans and then we get to celebrate them together so it's a those are you know they're small wins but they're they're extremely impactful and meaningful for the, the, the the larger organization so i want you to think now for a second as you look back over what's happening recently and what's happened over the last seven years at LearnCore, and how you've helped build these growth teams more than just sales we've talked about sales i love how you focus on growth because that's much more than just closing a deal fair to say it sure is okay so if you were to look at it and say what's my kind of blueprint are there any non-negotiables that stand out to you as you want to build this kind of a culture that you just talked about and you look back over your past we got a lot of listeners that are, you know, saying, I want to do similar things. What are a couple of non-negotiables that stand out to you as things you've got to do if you want to create this kind of an organization? I think the number one thing, um, and everybody around here has heard me say this a lot of times, the, the number one rule, in my opinion, is just be a good person, right? Be, be a, just do the right thing. 
all the time. And if you end up, if you, if that leads your decision-making process, um, you end up making a lot of really good decisions and make a lot of friends along the way, because mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a, a lot of people and companies sometimes forget that. Um, and I think that that really is key to hiring. It's key to how you treat your customers. It's key to how you, you know, treat your team. Um, and with that in mind, you, you can, um, it sometimes makes decision-making a little bit easier. I love it. That's great advice that I think you're right. I mean, you don't hear that that often. Do the right thing. Be a good person. If you do good, you'll, you'll do good. So I like that. What else? Anything else jump out at you that as you look back on creating an organization like this that stands out to you as a non-negotiable? For the team or for yeah. the, the growth? Yeah, for, well, either. I, I'd say the team. Let's, let's focus on as a leader of a team. What, what, do you, what do you do to have your team continue to have that kind of a uh, organization that you discussed? We really looked, always looked for, like, for people that had a, an entrepreneurial mindset. So, and what I mean by that is that they, they weren't – it's okay to find problems and complain about problems and talk about problems because there are a million problems and we'll solve them and then there'll be a million more. And that's okay. But it's people that are, that want to solve them and they might not always be able to solve them or know how, but they genuinely want to solve the problems, right? They're, they, they see them, they want to address them because they want to help overcome them so we can continue to push forward. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we had, we had made some hiring mistakes at different times of people that didn't fit that mold. And it was very, very clear that they didn't, that they weren't going to fit. Um, and I think that that, that mentality is key. And then the other thing is just accountability. Um, and that's not just accountability for the work that each individual does, right? Everybody, of course, is accountable for that, but it, it's accountable for your team and for the company as a whole. And what that ends up doing is it elevates the expectations of everybody because if there are, you know, five people on a team and one person isn't pulling their weight, that's going to make everybody else upset when they, when there is that, that expectation of excellence and, and, people are accountable to each other too. And um, I think that that's a, a mentality that we've tried to drive throughout the organization because that, that helps to it helps teams self-manage and to an extent. So it just strikes me. It's another element of collaboration. This kind of group accountability is, is what you're describing. And I, I really, I'll be honest, Ryan, I hadn't ever thought about, accountability to each other as a form of collaboration until I had this conversation with you. Right yeah. Now. Neither. I've, I've never thought about it that way either, but you're, you're right, Rob. I mean, it, they, they do go hand in hand. I mean, as I'm listening to what you're talking about and I'm taking a lot of notes here, it's funny to me as you talk about accountability to each other and it just strikes me that that's part of what great accountability is. And so a couple of questions we're starting to run. We're running low. I, I can't believe we're already coming up on the 30 minutes. <clears throat> my first question to you is, and, and we've talked about this and, and I want to hear what you think about it now. As you talk about that accountability in this world of collaboration, how do you use metrics? So metrics are an enabler and something that's like a positive thing rather than just a management tool. Um, yes. So metrics when it's just a management tool are oftentimes, um, reactive. What I like to do is be able to use metrics to be proactive, right? You, you need to look at the leading indicators to figure out what's working, what isn't working, how do we change, how do we measure, how do we improve, oftentimes before it even becomes a problem. So it's looking at those trends and, 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 and 
getting in front of challenges. So it's, it's becoming proactive and it's difficult to do and it's difficult to measure, but um, in an ideal world, that's, that's how you go from being a reactive manager to someone who's actually um, solving problems and, and accelerating the growth of the business. Love it. I, uh, I want to wrap this up with the two questions that I, I do with every single guest. So hopefully you're ready for these. Hopefully it's not going to catch you too far off guard. First one, as you look over your career as a leader, biggest leadership challenge you've had to face and how'd you handle it? Uh, good question. Um, a co- early on, we hired a few senior leaders um, and they both failed. They were both the wrong fit. Um, and I think the hardest thing that we had was coming to the realization that we needed to part ways and then figuring out how to right the ship again um, and make sure everybody was, was on board and, and still excited about the end goal, even though, you know, we made, we made some leadership hiring mistakes that the team, which is the, the heart and soul of the, of the company, um, was still really excited about the vision and, and passionate and, and ready to roll up our sleeves and, and continue pushing forward. Um, and we were, you know, we're, we're 33, 34 now. So four or five years ago, we were in our, our late 20s. And um, those are sometimes difficult conversations and decisions to make. And um, we had to just, you know, figure out how to do it and make sure everybody was, was on board and um, really good, really good learning experiences there. Yeah. Those are hard ones. I mean, very often, you know, when someone's not working out, but we're slow to make that change. I think it might be one of the hardest lessons to learn as a leader is that when you know, you got the wrong one making that change, but doing it in a way that the rest of the team says, thank you for doing it when you did it. That, that's yep. a tough one. Yeah. Everybody, everybody sees it. And that, that also goes back to the accountability, Rob. Like if, if people feel that way, then if other, other folks in the team are letting them down and, and blockers to them succeeding, then it, then it, it affects them. It impacts them. So when, when that change happens, it is a little bit of a relief. And sometimes you could see that on, on their faces and in the way they act and people just were too scared to speak up. Um, and actually there's a, a senior, really senior sales leader who we've um, gotten to know here in Chicago. And we were talking to him about our, um, one of these VPs that we had to let go. And it, it was, I think in May. And he said, all right, well, when did you, when did you start to question that, that, that he was the wrong fit? And so I think I said January. He's like, well, you should have let him go in January. The second you start questioning that, that there's, there's usually a reason you got to trust your gut. Um, and that was a really uh, interesting moment for us too. When we, I think the, the, the three of us looked at each other and we were like, yeah, like he was totally right. We, we definitely should have done that. And so next I time think- we'll, 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 we'll be better for it. I think every single person listening to this can relate to that story. I, I, I know I can. I'm listening to that right now. I'm going, yeah, no, he's right. That's, that's a killer story. Thank you for sharing it. Um, last, like, official question, and then we'll kind of finish with the, uh, just any final thoughts you have. One of the things that we see, Ryan, and, and we've had some amazing guests on here. You're, you're one of those amazing guests, but it's, it's cool because 
they're all, the one thing that we all have in common <clears throat> is every single one of them is in high growth mode. And they're not just say, I loved how you said it. Yeah. I work for a bigger company, but now I'm just trying to grow faster and you're not saying, Hey, we're fat and happy. Every one of the people that we talked to on the show is in a similar boat that they're stomping on the gas pedal as fast as they can. And they've learned that to do that learning and finding new ways of doing things is a key part. So as a result, quite often leaders are readers. So I'm wondering, are there any, um, any books that you would say, man, this has been formative for my career as a leader, anything you would share with our, our group? Um, well, shoe dog, uh, by Phil. Love that show. It's just an awesome book. Yeah. Love it. Love it. It's just, it's awesome. And just the the entrepreneurial story, the leadership story, how he evolved and changed. I I think that that was, that's just an outstanding book. Um, when it comes to sales specifically and, and, it actually applies to way more than sales, but n- never split the difference by Chris Voss. I, I, I think that's good. And a lot of books like that for me personally are a little bit too academic and I get bored halfway through. I'm like, yep, I get it. I don't need to hear the hear it 10 times, but he weaves in his stories as an FBI negotiator. So it keeps you, keeps you engaged. Um, and then the third one, which I'm reading right now has nothing to do with any of that. And I'm just, I've, I've gotten really into it. Maybe it's like the finance nerd in me, but um, it's called a history of the United States in five market crashes and it is it's kind of like a history book but it's also it's just it's it's really interesting and i think relevant um to the world today and and i've just enjoyed uh you know getting my uh putting my finance hat back on to 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 relearn some of that so um three things which are are, are very different but all really impactful on on how to have an outlook on on leadership and and the world in general those are all three fantastic ones. Like I haven't read the last one. The first two I've read, we'll get those on our library, our uh, high growth library. <clears throat> Ryan, this has been fantastic. I mean, there's so many things that stand out. I, I can't wait to break this down and, and share some final thoughts with our, our listeners. As I think about your approach to being a modern day vanilla ice with your collaboration. Um, how do our listeners get more of you? How do they find you? How do they follow you? How do they learn more about Showpad? How do they pick up more of what you're laying down? Um, they could find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, you could send me an email. I'm usually pretty good to, to respond. If, if, if you have a question, I'm happy to, happy to chat and, and hear from anybody that's trying to build a, build a company. Love, love to hear those stories as well. Um, but LinkedIn is going to be your, your best bet. Perfect. Any final thoughts as you think about your journey and, and not just where you've been, but things you're thinking about moving forward Any anything you'd like to finish off with? What I'm what I'm thinking about, Rob, is what what are you going to be doing tonight during the uh, Dodgers Brewers game? As a as a huge Dodgers fan, I am going to be watching Dodgers win Game One with my Salt Lake City version of a Dodger dog. That's what's going to be going down, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be rooting for you. I appreciate you, man. He is he's Ryan Levitt. He is the co-founder of of LearnCore. He's now driving growth strategy at Showpad. Most importantly, he is the vanilla ice of our time with his approach to collaboration. Ryan Levitt, thank you for joining us and happy selling. Thank you, Rob. Talk to you soon. Let's kick it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that episode even matter? 
And I hope you had a lot of fun listening to Ryan. And I hope that his his message was uber, uber clear today. There was a ton of things that Ryan was able to share with us. And I love that guy. I love that company. And I think he's done something that so many listening to this show aspire to. He's helped start a game-changing technology company. He's helped grow it like crazy. He's built an amazing team with people that trust each other and are all in this boat together. Created an opportunity to exit and harvest the company in a way that just created more opportunity for more people. And now he's helping drive that larger ship. What a great success story. And I love to see great things coming from great people. And Ryan is one of these guys. Now, Ryan shared a ton of things that drove his story. And, I, you know, you, you heard me joke a little bit. And you heard a little bit of the music as we started this up, this so what portion. But the core theme that I got from Ryan today was collaboration. Collaboration is a lot more than a catchy start to a 1980s, 1990s song, right? It drove so many things for Ryan if you go back and listen to it. And collaboration is one of those things that you say, yeah, 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 we're going to do that. That's a good idea. But as you listen to a guy like Ryan use it, and, and, and when I ask him about the non-negotiables, it's the first thing he goes to. And then all the other things that we talk about really have some element of collaboration in it. This is a really unique perspective that I'm really glad that we have to share with all of you as listeners today. Collaboration drove stuff like sales and sales growth, customer experience, and the, and the development of these raving fans. It's, it's uh, driven the retention of customer process. It's driven the learning process. It's driven the leading process. So many things keep pointing back to collaboration. And in that song that you heard me joke about, Vanilla Ice shared a little more about what collaboration does. When he mused something to the effect of, if there's a problem, yo, I'll solve it. And Ryan shared how collaborative leadership also enhances the problem-solving process. But not in a way you might think. It's not, yo, I'll solve it. It's, we will solve it. And he talked about how he would point reps in the direction of where uh, solutions were rather than just say, yeah, here's what it is. It's, here's how you can find it or go talk to this person. They're really good at it. And as a result, he talked about it it really did create a lot more efficiency and effectiveness, but more important, it created these resourceful salespeople that were very equipped to execute rather than just do what they're told. And so I love how he created effective teammates by making sure that he had that happen too. And as I looked at my notes, I found so many areas that collaboration uh, was really used to help teach. I'm going to tell you my top five. I actually had nine that I came up with, but I'm going to give you five because I think these five are so important. Number one, collaboration helped teach resourcefulness. I don't know if you can have a better attribute for your sales team than they're really resourceful. It drove accountability, and we had a good conversation around how uh, accountability to the team is a form of collaboration. It's one that I'd never heard of before, and Ryan really stimulated my thinking there. He talked about how uh, collaboration drove what he referred to as the, the holy grail with a customer, the ultimate goal for being in business. When your customers love the product, are having ridiculous success using your product to achieve their goals, and then they love the people at your company as they help them achieve those goals. And that collaboration, yeah, it helps your teammates provide that. It helps you build a product that gives that. It helps you sell it in a way that makes them say it's going to do that. But then you collaborate with the customers, so you co-create with the customers. Which takes us to the fourth one. 
they used collaboration to solve problems. Uh, really interesting how he talked about how uh, the collaborative effect uh, created way better approaches to problem solving. Go back and listen to that. And then the last one I put down was proactiveness. They, they use that to try and look forward rather than look backward. And Ryan has a really good conversation around reactive managers being less effective than proactive leaders that are looking into the future and using metrics and using collaboration to say, where are we going to go and let's get there first. You know, the best point of the episode, though, came at the end when he said that you should never lose track of doing the right thing and that doing the right thing is always the right thing. And I believe that Ryan's right. If more leaders put this imperative first, we have so much more success in the sales world. And when I, by that, I don't just mean more sales, though you have that. We'd have a better relationship with our customers. Um, we wouldn't have this uh, perception that we would have to overcome with so many people that, that interacted with sales, people that got it done wrong. Doing the right thing is, is the fastest and most effective way to make sure that we do it right. So with that, I hope you enjoyed Ryan Levitt. Ryan's done a terrific job. Ryan, thank you for joining us. And, and thanks to each of you for listening to the show. As you continue to listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends about it. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, please keep giving us those positive reviews so more people will find us. And, and as always, I'll remind you, don't worry, just execute, and we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.